You're listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org. Today's scripture comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 5 through 7 and 12. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and, in fact, will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. The word of God for the people of God. Well, as we've said, today is the first Sunday of Lent, our Ash Wednesday liturgy, if you're able to watch that online, explained Lent this way. The earliest Christians prepared for Easter by fasting and promising to change their lives, repenting by turning away from things that are unhealthy and not life-giving, and instead turning toward God's calling and recommitting to God's love. This Lent theme that we have, Walk with Jesus, will engage us in doing just that. We'll look at scriptures and they'll help us to know Jesus better and help us to understand his ministry and look at him from both the human and the divine sides. We'll come to know him in new and different ways as we walk with him to the cross and ultimately the empty tomb so that we can turn to God's calling and recommit to God's love. Each Sunday, we'll look at a few scriptures to understand a side of Jesus, an aspect of him. And today's scripture, as you might have uh, recognized, is about Jesus' identity. They show us who Jesus said that he was and what he expected from those who loved him. Each week, we'll also have a synopsis scripture that specifically speaks to that theme, the one that Ella just read. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Throughout the Gospels, throughout his ministry, Jesus is misunderstood. Really, he's not understood hardly at all. Now, some of this could be a literary device that the author has employed in order to make a point. But I also suspect that the enormity of who Jesus was was hard to fully grasp, even for those who knew him well. That starts with uh, the one scripture that we have in the Bible about Jesus' childhood. One scripture. It's found at the end of Luke chapter 2. Now, chapter 2, you may remember, is the same chapter that tells about the birth of Jesus. And so we have the shepherds and the angels and the nativity and all of that. And then at the end comes this one scripture about his childhood. So in one chapter, we have all of Jesus from 0 to 12. We don't meet Jesus again until his 30s, but here 
in this part of the scripture, Jesus is 12 years old. His family has gone to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover, and they walked. Uh, we have a slide here. You can see the little line that shows from Nazareth to Jerusalem, which was 90 miles and would have taken them about 30 hours. It was rough terrain. You can't just walk on the sidewalk to get there. Uh, and of course, they're in a caravan, which would have been large, and there would have been a lot of people in the caravan, so it would have taken them a bit to get there. That's why it would be easy for Mary and Joseph to assume that Jesus was with them, even though he wasn't with them. Like any teen teenager, he, they probably assumed were, was at the back of the caravan with his friends, right? Hanging out. Now, as a parent, I have a lot to say about this passage. <laughs> what it must have been like for Jesus' parents and how rightfully angry they must have been when they couldn't find their son, but that's another sermon Jesus is a 12-year-old boy. He's asserting his independence. He's an adolescent. His body is going through all kinds of body chemistry changes. And we can use all kinds of excuses to understand what happened here. But regardless of all that, it's a pivotal moment in Jesus' life and in the life of his parents. For it gives them insight into what life will be like moving forward with Jesus for a son. In Jesus' day, boys would begin Torah education at the age of five or six, and it would have been completed about the age 12. Now, Jesus would not have had a bar mitzvah the way that we understand it, that event to look forward to at that point. In fact, in the Bible, the age of majority was 20. It wasn't until Talmudic times, um, which began in the 4th century after Jesus, that the age of majority moved to 13, which is the current bar mitzvah age. At that time, uh, the father offered a blessing gave thanks he was no longer responsible for his son's conduct. <laughs> it wasn't quite the celebration that we see today. But I suspect that being left in the temple was Jesus' bar mitzvah moment when he was launched into adulthood. If nothing else, it tells us something very important about Jesus. From the beginning, Jesus knew who he was. And already, he's misunderstood, not by those who listen to him teach, but by his parents who just don't get it yet. Now, you can't blame them. Sure, they must have known what they were getting into. I mean, this is right at the beginning of Luke, where we just read the whole birth story. Perhaps we don't have any more about Jesus as a boy, though, because that's just it. He was a boy. A human boy who hung out with his friends and did normal kid things, which is why they wouldn't have assumed that he'd be in the temple. And maybe, like any parent, it was hard to see their son assert independence. Jesus moved from the child learning to the teacher teaching. He demonstrates that his faith is his own, which is 
actually what we want to happen in confirmation, in the process of confirmation here. Confirmation kids are doing the work of making their faith their own. We invite them to declare the promises that were made at their baptism. We invite them to write a creed, a statement of belief, and their faith is no longer their parents' faith, but theirs. We trust that their faith will be a source of their strength, that it will inform their decisions, that they will live it out in the world much like they do with their kingdom assignments. And by the way, there's a kingdom assignment bazaar in two weeks. We know it wasn't easy to be Jesus' parents. And it was equally hard for them to understand their son's actions and his identity. Now just two chapters later in Luke, we have another temple story. Jesus was baptized. He spent 40 days in the wilderness. It was time for his public ministry to begin, and so he spent some time preaching and teaching around Galilee, and everyone has loved him. He's been very well received. And then he goes home to Nazareth, where he was raised, where people knew him as a boy. They knew him as Joseph, the carpenter's son, Jesus returns to the synagogue, likely the same synagogue where he studied the Torah from ages 5 to 12. He goes in. He stands up front. He's given the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he opens it and reads the scripture. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at free those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolls up the scroll, goes back and sits down, and everyone's looking at him. He says, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. At first they speak well of him, but then they wonder, isn't this the carpenter's son? And then he teaches, and they don't like what he's saying. They're angry. How dare you come into our town and say such things? And they run him out of town and basically try to run him off a cliff. Now, that response is a little bit extreme, but here the people knew Jesus. They saw him in temple as a boy. They played with him or their children played with him. They went to school with him. You can see why maybe they said, well, who do you think you are? Imagine... Ella, for example, who just read the scripture today, coming back here in a few years after she's gone to college and telling us after reading the scripture that she is the fulfillment of the prophecy. I'd believe you. (laughs) This is the first time that we see Jesus rejected. And it's after he's declared who he is and what he's come to do. If we are bold in our faith, unabashed about who we are as Christians, we're going to experience rejection at times. Some people will think that we are naive, not very educated. Others will think that we're judgmental and exclusionary. Some people will judge us by the way we do things. Others will just outright dismiss us. That's part of what happens when we take our faith seriously, when we put it into action. I've shared with some of you before that I felt my call to ministry when I was 16. It was the summer, and I uh, really felt the call to ministry. 
It was affirmed by my family and my friends and my church as I kind of started telling people. I felt a sense of purpose and knowing who I was and who I was to be. I was the kid at church who did everything. I sang in the choir, I was part of the youth group, I went on mission trips, I taught Sunday school to third graders, and I was a liturgist, and I was even involved in the district and conference youth and had leadership positions there. Even once represented our conference at a global gathering. You get the idea. Came time for me to apply for National Honor Society It was the fall, just a few months after I had felt my call. I worked on that application. I filled out my resume. I had all kinds of leadership and service. I included even explanations of what each of those things were. And the thing was, almost all of my leadership and service was through church. But I sent in my application, and I was rejected. I was then invited to meet with the advisor to learn more, and I did, and I explained all about it, and he encouraged me to apply again, to send my application, and again, they would review it over, and they did, and I was rejected again because all of my service and leadership was in the church. Now, you may not have known that Mark Reed and I grew up living in the same neighborhood. We didn't realize it until he and Jessica joined the church several years ago, But we went to the same giant high school, and I was recently talking about my NHS experience, and I learned that the same thing happened to him. Most of his leadership and service was with the church, and he was rejected. The difference is he had the good sense not to reapply. (laughs) I don't tell you this for sympathy, but for the rest of the story, it was shortly after that that I experienced a pretty big depression. The rejection was hard, but during that time, I had the most profound faith experience when I came to rely on Christ, to feel his healing power and understand him as the one who could carry me through the darkest times. Ultimately, the rejection made me stronger, made my faith stronger, and let me know who I am. Jesus left Nazareth, for Capernaum, and the first healing recorded in Luke happened just after he was rejected. Now, of course, people got mad. It was on the Sabbath, but it was an example of him fulfilling the words of Isaiah, of those words coming true. And people were coming to know Jesus, his healing power, and beginning to see God in new ways. Still, people rejected him. They couldn't understand it. But it all resulted in the greatest gift of love that we'll ever know. Following Jesus completely, finding our identity in him can mean that we face rejection or that people just don't understand us, but it ultimately leads us on a path of peace and hope and a better world. It was at the Last Supper, after he'd washed the disciples' feet, that Jesus began to teach his disciples and offer them words of comfort. Thomas, I like to think of him as the engineer of the group. If you take Betty's class in a couple weeks, you'll realize he's green. He always wants to know specifics, the how and the why of it all. He wants proof, not just ideas and stories. And so he asked Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? 
And then the I am statement. I am the way and the truth and the life. If you know me, then you'll know my Father. And then Jesus basically says, if you believe in me, you'll do the works that I do, and in fact, will do greater works than these because I'll be gone. If we want to know Jesus, to follow him, to understand who he is, he tells us to do the works that he does, the work of Jesus, even if it means that the world doesn't understand or even support what we're doing. But he needs us to do that, to pick up where he left off. To know Jesus is to really walk with him. And it's what we are called to do, and even more so, to continue what he started. This Lent, as we walk with Jesus, I hope you'll join me in that walk. And that work. As we learn more, more about who Jesus is and who we ourselves are in the process. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org.